All right. Good evening. <laughs> Welcome back to a minor detail. I have the infamously missing Eric Beasley with me tonight. He's here. <laughs> yeah. He's live. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty rocking intro, too. Yeah. Yeah. I I told the person who designed it, I said, look, I really like Led Zeppelin, so I don't care what you do. Just put together something that sort of has a Led Zeppelin, uh, a little bit of a kick to it. So uh, <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I have somebody else on the line. I don't know who it is. Is this Ken Buckler? Yes, it is. Buddy, how are you doing? Yeah, so Eric, Eric Beasley's on with me, too. And so we're going to start out with the um, – Eric, he can't say for the entire duration of the show, but let's get started. You're listening to A Minor Detail on blogtalkradio.com. Find us on the web at aminordetail.com. Yes, we are the burgeoning blog of the state of Maryland. We are growing precipitously. Um, thousands of people have read our site last week because of the story that Eric Beasley has been vociferously covering. Eric, what is the hell is going on at Hood College? So what's going on at Hood College is the same thing that's happening at every single college and university full of millennial snowflakes around this country. <laughs> okay. Um, so basically, um, you know, um, recently, um, you know, historically, Hood College has had a like Republican organization at Hood College. It just, re- I believe, it just recently kind of got like fired back up. Um, actually, I, I think there's a lot of work from the Army Hobart campaign about that. Um, mm. You know, uh, last year time frame, and so there's a, I mean, there's a decent sized club um, of a bunch of uh, a bunch of. Uh, guys that go to uh, Hood College, and I say guys in the gender-neutral term, so oh, don't get all offended. Yes, um, yeah, it's it's the gender bender, what, whatever. Okay, but so basically, these uh, these these folks have been, um, you know, they've been holding forums, they've been holding debates with the uh, um, Hood College Democrats as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I participated in one of the forums there. It was a forum about basically uh, veterans transitioning from military service back into yeah. the you know, civilian world. Um, and so they've been, you know, relatively active around Hood, around the campus. And they had um, they'd realized, you know, historically over the or over the last like six months or so, there's a, there's a, a display case upstairs in one of the common areas of the college. And there's been a lot of, uh, I guess you could say more controversial things that have gone up there. I know there was a huge display about why black lives matter. And there um, there's been numerous pro-abortion um, displays that have been put up there as well. Um, there's actually a pro-abortion display up right now at hood college. Um, Hmm. And basically, the Hood College Republicans decided, you know, hey, we should have the ability to put some conservative viewpoints up here because this is, you know, this is a, a, a big liberal like college and we should be able to express ourselves as well. So they created a a board. And what it, if you if you believe the clickbait headlines from people who or analysis from people who didn't actually look at it. Um, some people say that it's a bunch of basically right-wing talk, sh- like radio talking point blurbs and snippets. If you actually right. take the time to actually read what's on this board, uh, what you'll see is there is a a pretty legit representation of the big tent conservatism. You know, there's everything from Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln to, you know, like Both half of the... 
yeah, both Republicans. Um, you know, there's quotes from Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Antonin Scalia. Um, there's quotes, like and then there's there's also a bunch of quotes from kind of like the more commentator wings. So the people, and mm-hmm. there was there was a ton of quotes about college, and of course, most of the people who complain about college these days are, you know, um, Stephen Crowder, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> um, those those types. And so there's even an Alex Jones quote up there. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it was a really good Alex Jones quote too. It was basically it, it said, uh, um, "I don't care what the queers do. I don't care what the Christians do. I just don't want the government to take sixty percent of my money." Um, <laughs> All like, right, that's pretty legit. Okay, I can't stand um, Alex Jones, but uh, okay, that's that's not so bad. Yeah, he's right in this instance. Okay, so basically there's some controversy because um, there was two quotes up there that basically many people took issue with. So one of them uh, was basically calling abortion a genocide of black America, um, citing the fact that uh, I think it's estimated that about, there's been about 38 million abortions performed on black women over since Roe v. Wade. And they were comparing that, you know, when if you they were comparing that to genocide. Some people decided that was racist. Um, there's another yeah. quote by Ben Shapiro that's basically mm-hmm. said that uh, transgenderism is a mental illness and mm. that biology is biology. You cannot change your gender just because you think it. Um, that was probably – I would say that one was the most controversial um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people took some pretty serious issue with. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I mean, look, I – you know, on, I, it, it, and here's the problem, Ryan, is like any, any conversation about both of those topics, the reality is that you're going to end up pissing somebody off. And yeah, so, yeah, you know, and I do I think that do I agree with Ben Shapiro's opinion on this? Not really. Um, do I do I agree that, you know, abortion is a black genocide? Well, the statistics show that it is. So, you know, a disproportionately large amount of black women get abortions compared to white women or Latino women or Asian women or any other minority inside the United States. So mm-hmm. the the facts hold up in that case. But this is college. So nobody gives a crap about the facts. What they care about is their feelings and how they're offended, and yeah. they're literally shaking right now. Okay, so um, basically, you know, there was there was this uproar over this display. Um, the so part one was on Sunday night, uh, where I went out there with. Um, uh, the Hood College Republicans, they were having their regular meeting, and they invited the public to come and talk to them. This is, you know, I'm sorry, just just for clarification and timeline purposes, you're ta- last Sunday you went out to Hood College to cover the event for a minor detail. In fact, you, you reported on it. And so I just want to make sure when the audience yeah. is connecting the timeline here, that's all. Yeah, so it, it was last Sunday. Um, I didn't do anything tonight. Um, <laughs> so so last Sunday, um, I went out there and basically, you know, um, I actually there, you know, there was a, a good chunk of people there. Um, I, I, I was sitting next to Liz Matori for pretty much the, for the entire evening um, just because she can stand my sarcasm. And, uh, you know, the um, Mark and City Schaff were there. Um, you had a bunch of, you know, so some some local um, uh, local Republicans along with the Hood College Republicans and then a whole bunch of angry, whiny college students. Um, and they complained about everything under the sun and said it was terribly offensive and, you know, basically called everybody a bunch of transgender bigots or trans, uh, transphobic bigots. Um, you know, just kind of the, the, the stuff that you would normally expect. Um, so far, my favorite part about that whole thing was so because half the people didn't say their name. And so, because look, like I, I feel like you can relate to this, Ryan. You say stupid stuff when you're in college. Yeah, 
I said a lot of dumb and, stuff. And sometimes it gets recorded. Yeah. And, and then sometimes, sometimes it, gets, it never goes gets national. deleted. Yes, and sometimes it goes national. Sometimes the recording never gets deleted. It stays up in the internet nether forever. Okay, yeah. so I decided, I made a judgment call to say, okay, if you are a college student, I'm not going to put your name in here because, quite frankly, I don't want to have to pay for your welfare and your food stamps because you can't find a job because you said stupid stuff when you were in school. So mm-hmm. I consciously made that decision to, if, if solely for my own benefit and the benefit of all the taxpayers out there in the country. <laughs> now, so the, my, my favorite complaint about all of this has been that people were complaining that – so I used, I used funny names like flannel hipster, and <laughs> yeah. I used descriptors to, to describe the people that were talking. Um, apparently, some people were, took some pretty serious issue with that. So let's fast forward to part two, okay? Part two was hosted by the president of Hood College, uh, President Chapdelaine, I believe is how you just pronounce the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, my God, dude, I, there should have been teddy bears and milk and cookies at this thing because it was, it was, it was really that bad. So, All right, so let, me ask um, you this, let me ask you this question, Eric. So you're there. You're covering it. A lot of students at Hood College are upset. They're express, expressing outrage over – the Republicans, um, I don't know what, how do you, what, how do you want to call this uh, a bill a like a, a display that has that has some controversial quotes on it, uh, and I know I read your piece and and a lot of these folks are they came and they were upset. So you know we have this thing going on today in college campuses where it should be a bastion of free speech, an exchange of ideas, and. Eric, you and I, being the libertarians that we are, we believe that the answer to ridiculous speech is more – and when you're in a contest of ideas, the more speech, the more conversations that we have, the better. So did any of the Hood College students that came out to express their outrage, concern, discontent, whatever you want to call it, did any of them demand that the display be removed? Yes, there was a couple that actually did demand it be taken down. Um, there was a cut, and and I mean, there was there was one kid that was basically like, you know, this whole display is dehumanizing people, and this is how Hitler took power, like, like straight off, straight off Godwin's law, like uh-huh. from the get go. Okay, like some. I, I, I mean, love that, the, uh, the the voiceover there, by the way. That was that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, this is my. I have a beard, but I'm not really a man because mm. I'm a big pansy voice. <laughs> so, well, um, <laughs> well, so Eric, let me ask you this question. Uh, so, these students came out, and then you've ex- you've also engaged in dialogue, for the lack of a better word, with some of these students who had come out. They they were upset that you didn't use names, which is sort of a ridiculous thing to to be upset about, especially as you mentioned earlier, that to save them from SEO searches in the future, and that's not the point. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to harm their future job prospects. They're paying all that money to go to a good school like Hood College. So we... Ryan, it caught... Let's put this... Let's just make sure everybody realizes this. The cost to go to Hood College for four years is more than my mortgage. Okay, this is a $200,000 
for a four-year degree school. It's $50,000 a year to go to Hood College. Okay, so we're not talking it, you know, this is not like, I mean, this is the epitome of like, you know, entitled upper middle class, like snooty children right here. There's a few exceptions, you know, there's always your athletic mm-hmm. scholarships, but the reality is, is that these are a large group of privileged, mostly white, you know, well, with chill, kids with well-off parents. Right, right. Um, we have we have somebody yeah, else who's and, calling you know, in hey, right now. Hey, something to something to, to point out there too. So, uh, have you ever seen The Aviator? That was the uh, the movie about Howard Hughes. Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. Yeah, absolutely great movie. My favorite quote out of that movie was when uh, Howard Hughes, Leonardo DiCaprio says uh, says to uh, what was it? Uh, the the socialist family. It's all, it's easy to phrasing uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's easy to want to basically redistribute other people's money when you've always had it. And how sad is it that we have people who, I mean, it, you know, it's hilarious. You see people complain about the the 1%, all right? You see people complain about, you know, the, the, uh, the kids who are the trust fund babies. But what they mm-hmm. don't realize is a lot of those trust fund babies, a lot of this 1% that they uh, complain about are the mm-hmm. same people the same class of people that they actually fall into that are the people that are complaining about this. But yet I don't Good. see any of them voluntarily paying for any poor children to go to for college. Uh, Ken, yeah. good point. Somebody just, somebody just called in. Um, the last four digits are 8123. If you're there, could you announce yourself? Regina Holiday, I'm up next. Oh, Regina we're gonna. I'm gonna place you on a hold if you don't mind, and we are up at 9:30. So just hang tight with us, okay? I'm just gonna place you on a hold if you don't mind. Okay. All right. Um, sweet. So the good news though is, all right. The good news is, you know, had you published those students' names, Eric, mm-hmm. they now have a defense, and their defense is, well, I just saw that on Dr. Phil. <laughs> oh, God. So that's a, yes. that's a, well, that is a well, perfect well, segue. Eric, I want you to – can you wrap up this segment and c- kind of give us the, the bottom line of what you want people to take out of this entire – one of those yes. – uh, yet another college incident where people are getting their feelings hurt because of the First Amendment's right to say what absolutely. you want. Look, absolutely. This is easy. Okay. Part two was just more crying, um, more calls to have it taken down, more comparisons to Hitler, um, and a bunch of controversy because there's a YouTube guy named Hunter Avalon that had recorded the entire proceedings from Sunday. And so there was multiple people at the second meeting complaining that they had been recorded without their permission, despite the fact that the Veterans Forum that I participated in two months ago – also put on by the Hood College Republicans was recorded and nobody like said a peep. Um, now the important thing is if you go on to Hunter Avalon's YouTube page and if you do go ahead and watch his video, um, according to somebody in a distorted voice, um, the Hood, Hood College is actually looking at taking legal action against him for recording the Hood College Republicans meeting. Okay, wow. that's what's really important here is he was not recording a he was recording a private organization's meeting that was open to the public. The Hood mm-hmm. College Republicans said that he can record. So if you don't want to be recorded, then you shouldn't have said something, or you shouldn't have said something stupid, and then complain when people call you dumb on the internet for saying something yeah. stupid. Okay, so basically, um, I I tell you what. 
take legal action against him. I, I wish they would try to sue us. That'd be great. Um, because that would be the biggest mistake of Hood College's life. Okay, oh, that would be a fight. Use... And... Yes. And I would, I, would, I would bask in that fight because inevitably the First Amendment will win. Um, now, Hood College, then again, I have to back myself up. I believe it's we're, they are, we're they are in, a private university. Okay, so, so they are a private okay. university. They do okay. receive so government like, funding. Okay, they do receive government grants. Um, okay. If you think about it, if you take if you if the college accepts a GI bill, they're accepting government money. Okay, yeah. so like there you go. That's that's more that's a more solid je- definition of of government funding than the whole Title IX program that Obama created um, mm-hmm. under the Department of Education regulatory framework. So basically, like they're they would be absolutely insane to try to take legal action against us or against um, Hunter Avalone um, for recording a, pr- a private organization's meeting. Eric, st- stick with us this next segment. I know you got to go about round 930, but I want to introduce the next segment of our show here on the first half hour with a little piece. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was uh, planted in my brain That scotch tastes great Still mm. remains within the sound of silence Ah, The Sound of Silence, which is Karen Harshman's career that self-destructed on Tuesday, April the 25th, at a building on the seventh floor of Baltimore City of the Maryland State Board of Education, when at around four o'clock, the decision came down that yes, indeed, Eric Beasley, Henry House, and Ken Buckler, the deed has been done. Karen Harshman has been removed effectively at that point from the Washington County Board of Education. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Henry House, Henry House, you and I are former Board of Education candidates who indeed came up short, and we ran in the same race uh, nearly four years ago with Karen Harshman herself, a former Washington County public school teacher and most likely disgruntled employee. Um, so, you know, what do you think about this, Henry? Was it was it justified? Was it a long time coming? Thoughts, feelings? Well, I, I, it was a long time coming, and you know, and I think Kim will agree because we've debated this point uh, in other venues. Is that this could have been dealt with back in November with a simple retraction? Um, she chose not to do it. She chose to fight it, and then she voted for her own dismissal. So she brought the guns to bear on her own. Um, the only opportunity left for her to remain is if they're able to parlay this into a lawsuit uh, against the the decision from the State Board of Education and District Court. Um, I, you know, effectively, she is no longer on the school board. It's, you know, whether you like Karen or you don't like Karen, you don't want to see any individual uh, suffer to this degree, I, I mean, yeah. th- because this was this was foot and mouth disease, and it was poor decision making. I think at just about every step. 
So Ken Buckler, I think Ken Buckler, was, you're with us now. Um, unwind this. How did it all begin? How did we ever go from a sitting Washington County Board of Education member yeah. who was like now in the history of Maryland Mall, one of I believe like only four or five, four. Kim, my my wonderful. Kim, who is sitting in front of me, is giving me the fourth side. She's like the fourth person, I believe, to ever be removed by the State Board of Education. Ken Buckler, how did this all begin? Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, the First Amendment has restrictions. One of those restrictions is you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. You can't intentionally incite panic. And what and what what happened with Karen is that and you know I, I really feel sorry for her. Um, what happened with her was she made some statements that the board of education and uh, the school system had uh, sexual predators actively working for the school system. Now, apparently, that was all brought on by a Dr. Phil episode, uh, according to her defense attorney. So I. Gosh, you know, I, I, I'm at a loss on that. It's, oh, it's my God, Dr. Sad. Phil. Yeah, do, you know, Dr. Phil resulted in the removal of a of a public official. Um, you know, with that said, you know, I I am going to say, unfortunately, her, her uh, defense attorney did not do her any favors by bringing that up. No. Um, Eric Beasley, but, you were watching – Eric Beasley, you were watching live – the stream, and you, you made some great comments. You saw the arguments take place on Tuesday morning, beginning at 9.03 a.m., in which the board-appointed attorney, Les Stellman, made a compelling and sound legal argument that was logical and consistent that basically argued the facts of this case, which were enough for an administrative law judge back in February to rule that this case was indisputable, the facts were indisputable, whose own judgment ruled that Karen Harshman should be dismissed from the Board of Education in Washington County. Eric, you saw her attorney make those arguments on Tuesday morning on behalf of his client, and, and the attorney I'm referring to is Ira Cook. What are your thoughts on that, Eric? Oh, okay. Like, I think Zane could have made a more coherent argument. And, like, he signs porcupine randomly throughout the day because he wants to look at a picture of a porcupine, okay? Um, you know, when he wants to look out the window, he signs tree, okay? Like, this argument, I mean, it was – I have not seen a legal strategy like this since about 2002, um, I believe it was when uh, Chef was on trial for something, and he hired Johnny Cochran to come in and defend him. And that's when Johnny Cochran launched what was, has been known as the Chewbacca defense, which was completely nonsensical, <laughs> insane argument that was try that entire goal was to confuse the jury so that they don't even know what their what the trial is about, and they just rule not guilty out of confusion. Okay, but, so now in, in all fairness, that did work on South Park. It did work on South Park, yes. <laughs> now, however, as Ken has pointed out, so this was a, this was a slight modification. Okay, this was the this was a derivative of the Chewbacca defense. So we we've named it the Doctor Phil defense, where I saw it on Doctor Phil. So therefore, you know, there's <laughs> there's child predators in our school system. Okay, but it's the same sort of nonsensical. Like there was no sort of like cohesion or thought process. I you know like. 
it was it was it was horrendous. I, I highly you really seriously people should just watch it at least. We should just cut out the legal argument and post it on YouTube so people can just watch that train wreck. So let me just jump in and I'll say that here's the final ruling um, of the Maryland State Board of Education's opinion that questioned Karen Harshman's fitness to be a board member. Um, this is what they wrote. In order to remove a local board member, we must not only conclude that a ground for removal has occurred, but the actions render a member unfit to be a local board member. And so they go on into this case, um, and they went on to say that the school system had to go to great lengths to undo the harm caused by Mrs. Harshman's accusations. And the accusations basically said that there were sexual predators inside of the school system, that people, teachers who were sleeping with students, and as a teacher, any teacher, that is, you are charged by under Maryland law, you're what is called as a mandatory reporter. So if you fail to report what you know, and at, at the moment you know it, you are in violation of the law. So Mrs. Harshman, who made these claims, and then she went on to say that a colleague on the board who, yes, back in the late 60s, um, had a relationship never was her student, and that's the facts, that you know, they had the blessing of their family, and they both got married. So what this all was about, Eric, Ken, and Henry, and, and, I, and I think we all can agree, this was a political attack that got deeply personal and that she knew that she couldn't hand over any other names. And in fact, when former superintendent of Washington County Public Schools, Clayton Wilcox, asked Mrs. Harshman for the names, she refused. She absolutely refused to give Clayton Wilcox the name. So what did Clayton do? Well, he sent a – well, he called the sheriff's department and said, Mrs. Harshman has these names that she refuses to give me. So a sheriff's deputy was probably pretty embarrassed to go and say, hey, you're a sitting Washington County board member. You have information that we need. Apparently, she only gave the name of one of her fellow board colleagues – and it turns out that she gave the other names to members of the Herald Mail, the, the press. So not only was she woefully, woefully uh, neglectful of her duty, she committed what is now unequivocal misconduct of her office. And so the State Board of Education, they went through this long process, and sadly, Ken Buckler, you know as well as I do that this cost the county This in Henry House – you guys are Washington County taxpayers. This cost the county a lot of money, over $30,000 total in legal fees. And that money yeah. will never be recouped by the taxpayers, never. So, so, so to be fair, um, and this is actually one area where I agree with uh, Eric Cook, is that uh, Karen Harshman should have been removed through a special election, through a recall election. Unfortunately, Maryland law does not provide for that. And you know what? I, I'm going to say this now. Thank God for Karen Harshman to do this because mm -hmm. this is a serious issue that needs to be addressed in our legislature, and I'm going to be uh, pushing for it. Good. I, I support recall elections. He is that the official position of the Libertarian Party? What's that? I'm sorry? Well, is that, is that the official position of the Libertarian Party of Maryland? Sir, anything I say is not the official <laughs> position of the Libertarian Party. Maryland is my own opinion. <laughs> Henry, 
I want to go on to Henry. Um, we're going to wrap up this segment. I don't know how much else right. there is to say on Karen Harshman, but you and I both had the opportunity to sit with her at a forum. You and I were deeply involved in the education process at one time in Washington County. I went through the school system. You went through the school system. Your children went through the school system, and we had an opportunity to see it uh, upfront and personal. And much of the 2014 Board of Education race was profoundly personal to you, to me. You and I had the opportunity to to campaign alongside one another, get to know each other really well. But the general consensus is back then that we knew that Karen Harshman was likely to be reelected. And so we knew that she had the Teachers Association support. We knew that many former teachers really believed that she would do the job that she would be elected to do. But it so turns out that things changed drastically. Where where did that change come about? And, you know, what what do you make of that? Well, you know, I, the the change came about when she made that statement. I mean, there there was divisiveness among the board on some critical issues all throughout the first two years of her term. Um, but, you know, once she made the issues and, you know, I'm going to throw another bone out here. The two people that she named to the Herald Mail, um, do they not have – because nothing was found substantiated. Uh, no. The police you – know, the Herald Mail turned the, the names over. Do they not have some kind of uh, mechanism to go against her for, for some type of libel or slander? Um, I mean that's a good question that uh, – yeah, of course, I'm not an because attorney. Because careers but... will, will likely be in, impacted by that. Um, you well, know, and, and, and my my kids had Karen Harshman as, as a teacher. They they liked her as a teacher, um, but you know, th- this thing should have been over back in November. There's no reason that we carried on. That that's my two cents. Yeah, she should have resigned. And so, and, uh, and in all, all go fairness, ahead, there, um, you know, theoretically, if we're going to talk about you know liability for false statements, I mean, she did say that the school system itself was harboring sexual predators. Therefore, maybe there's the ability to recoup some money. I don't know. I'm not an attorney. Well, we'll find out. Uh, Eric oh, Beasley, it's called blood in a turnip, Ken. Eric Beasley, uh, final thoughts on this subject, and then i got to move on. Man, I'm going to miss like making fun of her. <laughs> yeah, she maybe. she made some really good material. I mean, it'd be just as bad as if like Rachel Maddow like retired, you know. Like I I have to appreciate her for her value in writing. Yeah, well, you know, Karen Harshman, who could still file a demo, what what they call a de novo motion before the uh, circuit court in Washington County. However, that is going to require funds. It's going to require some financial backing and a, and a legal strategy that goes beyond a, um, I, I want to say, a, a, a preschool education. Um, and she did herself a extreme disservice by hiring Ira Cook, who just made a completely fallacious argument. That was, as Donald Trump would tweet, sad. And we are all – but but the education system in Washington County is better off without her. The rumor is, however, and we'll wrap it up this, and you guys can chew on that, on this. She's going to run again just to say, I'm going to go back at you. And if she runs again, Eric, we will have so much material to, 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 to write about and to talk about on this show. Yes. So – 
gents, um, we appreciate it. Ken, thanks for joining in. Eric, uh, thank you for calling in. And uh, Henry, we really appreciate it. And I'm sure that somewhere down the line, this topic will come back up in- inevitably. So, gentlemen, thanks for your time. Yeah, we'll let you hang out with your Dem friends. Talk to you later, Ryan. <laughs> okay. Take care. <laughs> All, right. All right. See you, Ryan. Bye-bye. All right. So that first segment, a little bit of Washington, a little bit of Washington County politics. That was fun. So the next segment we're going to talk about this past weekend, I uh, had the opportunity to attend the Western Maryland Democratic Summit that was held at the Rocky Gap Casino in Allegheny County. And I have the distinct privilege of introducing first time guest of a minor detail, Regina Holiday, who is now my new Twitter friend. Hi, it's so great to be your wonderfully new Twitter friend. (laughs) You know, and the sad thing is, Regina, we didn't even officially meet, which I'm disappointed that we didn't have the opportunity to. But we will. I know that because Grantsville is a neat place. I love coming out to Garrett County. We spend some time. We spent some time last year up at Deep Creek Lake. But I I want you to introduce yourself. And by the way, I think you are the first. No, actually, I take that back. You might be. The second ever verified Twitter account verified that has been what? a guest owner. Ver- you are verified on Twitter, and I'm immensely jealous of you. Oh, you can be verified too. Really? I haven't really. Yeah, I don't it's not know hard at you- all. Really? Because I, yeah, I think I've tried. Yeah, it's much, and- much easier now. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I could get that little blue check mark because that means something. It means you. There's like some ounce of credibility. Right. So, so you, what you have to do is you have to send in your official ID. Uh-huh. And you have to send in articles about you written from other, basically. Oh, well. Yeah. I might, so I may need your help in coming up with a strategy to get me verified. That is my – if there's anything that if I were to die tomorrow and wouldn't be verified on Twitter, I, I think bad. I would be subjected to purgatory for the rest of my life in my own head. So, um, Well – I do have an event coming up, so if you end up coming to it, we could always do an article in the paper about you being there. I would love that, and there we will we, we will definitely talk about that. But sure, I w- I'd love for you to first introduce yourself, a little bit about your bio, and then you and I will have some fun talking about uh, the Western Maryland Democratic Summit that took place this past weekend. So okay. the floor is yours. So. So I actually was born and raised in Oklahoma, so my entire family is Republican, except for my grandfather was a Democrat, and he voted constantly when I was a young person. So he made me become a Democrat, which was just spectacular. So, so that's where I came from. Um, then I moved – I met my husband in Oklahoma. He was actually from Maryland, and I married him and moved to Maryland initially, and then Washington, D.C., and lived in D.C. for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And my husband, unfortunately, got diagnosed with cancer in 2009 while we lived in D.C., and um, he only lasted 12 weeks from the point of diagnosis. Wow. And it was horrible because the hospitalized patient doesn't have access to information unless the doctor wants to give it to you. Mm-hmm. So they're not protected under the law. So when I realized this, I decided I had to work to become an activist to try to change health care and make mm-hmm. it better for everyone. And since I lived in the nation capital and didn't have any kind of representation in Congress, um, I worked really hard with the federal government to try to change things. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to a point in my life where I could move to western Maryland where my husband grew up 
the mm. town where he lived, which is Grantsville, where my mother-in-law and father-in-law live, I took the shot and I moved out here. And that was four years ago now. So I've lived out here for four years and did my best to start meeting people and networking. I became the uh, Garrett County Democratic Central Committee chair back in December mm-hmm. and just doing everything I can to make life better for people. Well, I, I that's that's one hell of a story. And, um, yeah, I mean, and only you can tell it. So being in Western Maryland, I grew up in – I grew up in the what I call the gateway to Western Maryland, and that would, in my mind, I, that's Hagerstown. My I was born at the Washington County Hospital, that's no longer there anymore. They tore it down a few years ago and built another nice hospital um, called Meritus. And I lived across the street from Hagerstown City Park until I was about nine or ten um, with my mom and my stepfather, and. Uh, I am uh, my grand my grandfather and great grandfather, all born in the city of Hagerstown. Uh, my grandparents are are mostly from there, um, and uh, we are we are proud Western Marylanders. And so I, I can say that I had a Western Maryland education. I have Western Maryland values, and I, I love the feeling that um, even though you're sixty five some miles, you're, you're much further, of course, from where I grew up to Washington, DC, you know, the big city, uh, 60 miles to Baltimore city. Um, Western Maryland is definitely a community that is wholesome. It's hardworking middle-class folks that are trying to make a living. And, um, it's, it's a great place to raise a family. We have great schools and I'm just, I'm so proud of where I came from, uh, and the community, um, that I grew up in. And so I hope that you are sharing that same experience uh, up in Grantsville. I am. I mean, you know, in Garrett County, we are challenged in the fact that we have a very large county and a relatively low population density. So all those great people, they have to have like three to five jobs because (laughs) otherwise we can't get everything done. Yeah, it's it's very true. So it is one of those things I'm very blessed that I get to live here, and then I get to bring that experience into, like, federal meetings and large city meetings and explain you don't get it. Don't assume everybody has broadband. Don't assume everybody has teeth. Teeth are really necessary if you want to get a job interview and actually pass it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like just the regular concern of people around where I live. Right? But you're you're about to embark on a new journey, and you're – you're flourishing and sort of newbie political career. What's going on in Grantsville that you want to talk about and share on the show? Oh, I'm running for mayor. Okay. So you're running for mayor. And how many people live in the town proper of Grantsville, Maryland? 825. 825. And how many of those folks are registered to vote? Well, because I'm actually in campaign mode, I can't look at van lists or anything like that because I'm campaigning. So okay. I'm, I'm also in the – you understand? I'm, that's a oh, conflict sure. of interest because I'm on a central committee. Mm-hmm. So, so I can't actually answer that question because I can't look at that information. But okay. when I do door-to-door and talk to people, the majority of the people I've spoken to are registered to vote. Unfortunately, some of them aren't registered in my town. Oh, so they didn't realize that it's not enough to have registered in the state of Maryland. You have to have registered with the address in the town of Maryland that you're in because okay. otherwise you can't vote in a municipal election. 
And where is and when is the the election? When is it scheduled to be held? May ninth. Okay, so May ninth. And do you have an do you have a Republican opponent? Well, no, this is a municipal election, so ah, they don't right. actually track whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Which is but a good I happen thing. to know the other person who's running for mayor is also a Democrat. Okay. Okay. Well, that's it's that's sort of unique for Garrett County. Um, you are the, correct. <laughs> the Democrats in Western Maryland are sparse, but they seem to be growing. And you know, in full disclosure, everybody knows this. I am a registered Republican. And I am, I am, you know, as I, I have been recruited several times over this weekend at the Western Maryland uh, Democratic uh, Summit to become a Democrat. And and look, I think that's a personal journey that you have to take. And um, I'm I'm certainly not there yet. I would I'm definitely, and I don't think that I I may never be there. And that's fine because I really dislike being applied to a certain party label. And I used to be such a proud Republican. So I, I used right. to say, man, I am a proud Republican and I could, you know, enumerate certain values that the Republican party held that I strongly agreed with. But then it seemed to me that those values continued to shift and shift and shift and to be diluted and watered down over time. And then when we elected Donald Trump as our Republican nominee, all hell broke loose. And in full disclosure, I supported. I'm a libertarian. I supported Rand Paul. I'm a big, you know, I I believe in limited government. I believe in much of what Rand and his father Ron Paul stood for, and so it's been an evolution for me. And so, as I said yesterday during one of the breakout sessions at the summit at Rocky Gap, that you know, look, I, the, the Democrats are going to be with the libertarians on many issues. The Republicans are going to be with the libertarians. On on many issues. So, um, you know, we're cross pollinating, which is fine because we can't do anything without talking to one another. But nonetheless, um, and, and, and for me, I'm into politics because I have an end goal. I want to see certain legislative priorities enacted. And I don't give a damn which political party takes credit for or which, you know, a Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian president signs the bill into law. I just would like to see good laws made without all of this just abject, blind partisanship. You know what I mean, Regina? Oh, yeah. I completely understand. I mean, what I keep telling people is we we have to find common ground to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of what I was saying at this event was like, <laughs> it's like honestly, we have <laughs> – we, libertarian, Democrat, Republican, there are similar issues we all agree on. There's of course. Things about like, hey, it would be really nice if you could open a business easily, wouldn't it? That would be great. <laughs> if you, so, you know, I I agree. Would, and yeah. and so I, I want to <laughs> so, talk about this summit that happened at the very picturesque Rocky Gap summit. And if you ever, if you never have been to Rocky Gap, you definitely have to go. It's it's a neat place. I'm a I'm a terrible golfer, but I enjoy golfing. So. I didn't actually play the course this weekend, but it's a beautiful course. They have this man-made lake that is is a lot of fun. It's nowhere near <laughs> the Deep Creek experience, but nonetheless, it is Allegheny's own man-made lake that is that could be a lot of fun. And of course, the resort and casino. I'm I, I am ashamed to say that I'm a I've been in the casino maybe once or twice, 
I am a terrible gambler, and I would lose our children's entire life savings if I went in there. Uh, so they would have no more college fund, and I would need Bernie Sanders to bail us out in some way with free college. So uh, if I went gambling for a weekend, it would be it would be a, a serious mess. But the Democrats have been meeting for this summit uh, for the last like, like 13 years, and so they. And I, I just want to give a big shout out, and I'm sure that Robin Summerfield doesn't listen to this show, and that's fine because maybe one of these days I'll have him on. But he did a great job, along with several other folks, uh, arranging this event, putting it together, and it was well organized. The uh, you know, everything ran on time. Um, it was um, well staffed. They they had an excellent lineup, a program that was well done, and that deserves credit. So if Robin is listening. Well done. And so on Friday night, uh, Regina, they had a they had this really interesting networking event and there was so many people there. And so tell us about that. Did you did you have an opportunity to attend that? Oh, yes, I was there Friday night. Um, so what did you think? The, was, was everybody who's ever thinking about running for governor and Congress in the 6th Congressional District, were they all there? Almost, I guess. I mean, there it was pretty packed. Yeah, we had some people that were there during the mixer Friday night that didn't make it to the actual event. You know, the sessions on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was everybody got to speak from the podium. It was very unfortunate that Tony, who was going for yeah. um, the chair, Mike went out while he was speaking because that didn't really happen to anybody else. Um, so. But everybody else, you know, we could hear them very well, and uh, some of them were more energized than others. But you know, it's late in the evening, and some people had been drinking. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, the point of these events. You you get liquored up. They gave us these two free drink tickets, and I guess that they think that two is a responsible number of drinks. And then um, post two, then you never know what the hell is going to come up during these conversations. But I had a look. I I am slowly learning on behalf of our show and from a journalistic perspective of covering political races in Western Maryland, I have to know who these candidates are. I have to interact with them and I, I want to talk to them as much as possible. I mean, what, what political um, aspiring journalists wouldn't. So that's the point. And I, I came there to, to network, to meet people, to have conversations, to discuss um, policy and agreements. And I had that. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I met uh, for the first time many of the gubernatorial candidates. So um, I met um, Kevin Kamenitz of Baltimore County, who is obviously considering running for, uh, for, for governor of Maryland. I had the opportunity to meet, let's see, um, Jim Shea, who is running, I guess, running for governor as a Democrat. I met County Executive of Prince George's County, Rashern Baker. Really nice guy. Um, I met, um, let's see, I met Doug Gansler, or Maryland's a former, former attorney general. And I even had the opportunity to meet David Trone, uh, Roger Mano, um, who, uh, State Senator Roger Mano, um, who is considering running for Congress in, in the 6th Congressional District, Bill Frick. Um, so I had the, the opportunity, Andrew Duck, I had the opportunity to talk to these guys one-on-one and then hear them speak. So there's a lot going on in Maryland politics right now. And during this event, you and I were tweeting back and forth during uh, these speeches. 
what were your thoughts? Who do you think um, came out on top? Who do you think um, connected with many of the Democrats in the room? And what do you uh, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, first, I must point out that you and I were tweeting. Yes. Of the 250 people that were there focused on spreading the message of the Democratic Party, <laughs> we were the only ones tweeting for the most part. There was one I, other I gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing. This, there was a working group last year at the state central committee meeting about utilizing social media and getting on Twitter. And here it is a year later, and no one did it. And, you know, they, they make jokes about the president tweeting. And it's like, listen. He's the president in part because he's yeah. tweeting, <laughs> you know. So, so, so that would be the thing I have to start off with because I just felt like uh, we we've got to do a lot of work ahead of us. Um, right. So, other than that, I was really impressed by Bill Frick uh, when he. Were you still there at that point? I know you stopped. Oh yeah, I stayed the, until okay. the, the bloody end. Um, I did not stay for the the forum, the Democratic the forum at the very forum. end. Yeah, but I I stayed. Disappeared at a certain point. I wasn't sure what point that was. I think it was after the 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 actual um, presentation or the 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 summit concluded um, after they read the straw poll results, which was around like four forty five ish. And it was totally wrong that they did not include your vote. They should have concluded your vote. (laughs) Yeah, I voted for Ron Paul. I did not look as a Republican. It was, and I I don't think that I. It was probably a little bit unethical if I, if I voted for somebody, so I decided to instead write in a candidate, and, I, and as the Washington Post reported today, I was one of six people who wrote in a candidate, and I know uh, according to one source at the, the summit, two people wrote in um, former Democratic state delegate candidate in Washington County, Elizabeth Paul, so – so three three other people out there, I would be interested to see who they wrote in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be too. So anyway, um, so as far as other presentations, Kathleen Matthews rocked it, I thought, um, as far as really connecting with the audience. She got away from the podium. She, you know, was just there with us, right? Um, oh, and she's, as, a, she's a female. And right. b- by the way, incidentally, I want to mention that – Democrats often like to tout that they are a true representation of our country as a whole. You know, women and uh, women, minorities, African American, Muslim. I mean, really, a melting pot of what is truly representative of all America. However, there was one thing missing in the poll, one big thing that was missing of the eight eight candidates who were pictured – um, as part of the straw poll. And Regina, what was that? There was no women. There's there no, no women. women. And you saw that tweet about there's no – there was apparently when this agenda first went live, there wasn't an elected woman. Well, there was no one. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, my goodness, it's it's what happened. You know, like at least there, there was Kathleen, and I'm not quite sure how you pronounce her name. Krishante? Krishante? She was yeah, the so speaker from Generation Impact. She was – Dynamite. I had an she opportunity. Was she was amazing. She but honestly, it is one of those things. I, I was just going to mention it as a parenthetically that when she – I met her on Friday night, uh, and we talked to both she and her husband um, in the lobby um, upstairs, and we were, we were actually heading out. 
and uh, and her she is a former the, the former policy director to our former first lady uh, Michelle Obama. And um, I, she just has an, an incredible resume. I mean, Yale um, would study, you know, teaches law. I mean, this is just she's amazing. And so she and I had a conversation and Kim and I talked to her um, for about, I'd say, about 15 minutes. And so she was and she was also hugely pregnant. <laughs> so that was yeah. it was interesting. And did you um, notice in three inch heels. And and well, I don't know anything about that, but I I'll take your she word for that. She had three inch heels on. Yes. She had three I mean, inch heels. Okay. Three inch heels. And did you hear the story about how she was talking about how the first lady teased her about her height? <laughs> yeah. 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 And <laughs> we're talking Chris. I, I don't even want to butcher her name, but it her she goes right. by uh, Chris, and um, I she is the founder and CEO of Generation Impact. And um, maybe it, maybe one of these days I can try to invite her on the show. That would be a great discussion, um, yeah. and maybe we can we can get that underway. But during her speech, um, it was so passionate and it transcended politics in so many different ways that um, I got a little misty eyed because those types of speeches connect with people, and it goes above and beyond partisan labels. And you often found. Um, President Obama, who many of our listeners strongly, vehemently oppose for many reasons, and you know this is where the, my big fat rhino card, as I'm so called in the Republican Party um, of Maryland and elsewhere, but President Obama often made speeches that transcended politics, and he connected with people in a way that I have never seen a politician connect with before in my lifetime. So – and I think Chris, when she was speaking that day, she connected with me emotionally um, on some policies. Now, I don't agree with everything that she said, of course, um, but I, I think that she did a tremendous positive for this summit. And they were smart in asking her to be their keynoter. They did a great job. She did a wonderful job. It was a great way to end the presentation. And it was a lot of energy she left on the stage with yeah, out to yeah. Um, she's so, definitely one of those kind of speakers who doesn't just draw from the audience. She gets right back. All right. So, look, we got Donald Trump in the White House, and there's that. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much we could say about that, but it was interesting that the summit took place on his 100th day in office. And that, of course, was constant material for many of the speakers. Um, so not only did people like Congressman John Delaney – who won the straw poll yesterday with 66 votes um, to Kevin Kaminitz's is 42. Um, he, Kevin Kaminitz came in second in this straw poll, which is statistically negligible, which means nothing at this point. It was on Congressman Delaney's home turf, but it's always nice to get the headline in the picture um, on the Washington Post. You know, that's, hey, you, you, you won a straw poll. That's a good thing. That's what candidates count on. It's free press. It's earned media. And people are talking, and they're saying, oh, okay, maybe Delaney might be the guy. Um, but they had they had – you have this party that you suffered a, a an election loss that really you guys should have won in 2016. And we could go into 101 different reasons why um, Hillary oh, – Well, you know, I mean traditionally you don't. The party who's ran things for eight years doesn't usually get it. 
means okay. it's usually a culture shift that tends to happen after an eight-year president. But all um, the polls pointed that Hillary was supposed to win this race, maybe not by the margins that were predicted by some of the polls, but up until the last day uh, of the election, until until the the polls were closing, you know, even 538 Nate Silver, who I think right. is a statistical genius. Now, some may disagree, but you know, he certainly got the 2012 election pretty right. Um, Hillary right. was 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 expected to win this because of how buffoonish and ridiculous and just completely amoral and disgusting Donald Trump's character is, his policy positions or lack thereof. Um, there's a whole host of reasons why Hillary should have won, but she didn't. So after this election, Democrats are regrouping. Uh, they are re-energized to go back and take back not only the White House in 2020, but starting here on the local level, the governor's mansion. And so Larry Hogan, um, in my strong opinion, in my opinion, um, for what it's worth, has been a pretty decent governor. And Larry Hogan, I believe, will be challenged for Democrats to beat. And one of the strategies that Democrats are attempting to to use is to to basically draw parallels between Governor Hogan and Donald Trump. So what do you think of that, uh, Regina? Do you think that's a, a smart strategy for Democrats to to use in this upcoming election? No. <laughs> so, so where I live, you know, that their vote turnout was over 72 percent mm-hmm. and very, very strong win for Trump. OK. Oh, yeah. And um, – People think of him as a businessman who Mm -hmm. is daring and willing to try things and talks like regular people and like that. They like that. (laughs) And that's the reason they like Hogan, too. (laughs) So, you know, he doesn't dress fancy and he comes out and he'll sit down and talk with you and you can understand all the words he uses. And, And he actually comes out to Western Maryland and spends time with us, right? Right. So, so. Doing this to what I believe is a false comparison, like lumping them together, um, is n- is doing a disservice to the party. Uh, if if one of the major things that the Democratic Party has to do is completely wake up <laughs> to how much a lot of folks have ignored the regular person, the citizen, the person who's suffering, who hasn't had a job and needs a job very desperately, and they don't actually want a handout; they want a job, and the the prestige in society you get with having a job, because that's the first thing most people ask you is where do you work, right? So, so, so understanding that, understanding the fact that social media is changing everything and that people have unique individual voices now that they didn't used to have in the past, and you've got to reach out to people on an individual basis. So, so I, I, I was a little concerned as we were tweeting back and forth. We had some side discussions on this um, about what they were doing because it's the – in my opinion, the wrong path to take if you're really going to try to go against Hogan. Right. Um, you've got to push up. And that's one of the reasons I was coming out with some of the stuff I was saying at the event. Um, wh- why was I one of the only people in the room that had a lapel pen that was a flag? Hmm. Okay. Right? Think about that. Yeah. No one. I, I never saw anyone. I kept looking at lapels. Anybody got a, anybody got a United States flag, not a Maryland, a United <laughs> States flag. Right. Because that says something about you. You care about the nation. You care right. about the nation deeply. 
And for too long, people have ignored that element of our society, right? So, so I think the wake-up call is almost like a buzzer that's still going off. And the echoes and ramifications of the election are still being felt. And people have got to really get their acts together incredibly quickly as we go into this 2018 cycle. Yes. And you're going to see the Democratic candidates running for governor. They're going to attack Hogan on issues that they think that he is d- doing wrong. Let me let me say this, and that's that's fine. That's what a race is. It's about now that Governor Hogan has a clear record, he can be confronted on several of the right. issues that Democrats think that he could do better on. But well, what I don't what understand getting... ahead, is I'm he's sorry. not using his own story positively. Like, he had cancer. If anybody gets it, he gets it, right? <laughs> so, so like well, he's already getting hit. With healthcare, he needs to start actually getting out there in the press and talking about this. And I think he will. And he has a smart group of people who work with him in press, and I, I know them. And I they're and I, I think that Larry's a very humble person. He he truly is. And and I think that he may feel that he doesn't want to use that as a political crutch. To say, oh, I had, you know, I beat cancer, and I, I think he would be hesitant. And this is just me surmising, so please, I, well, I not, could be completely wrong. I think this is the thing. It's not I beat cancer. It's I had, I had it, and right. I am, I, I'm in remission right now, but I can have it again next year. You know, it's, right. it's, it's like I'm in the same situation that so much of the people are. I mean, right. where a lot of politicians make a mistake is they don't truly authentically tell of themselves right yeah. give me an example of someone at the summit who told a compelling story that connected with people state senator roger mano talked mm-hmm. about yes. his childhood he was, he, yes. was. he was dynamic mm-hmm. he told a personal story and in fact i talked to the state senator today i was at the hagerstown climate march covering the event um and saw him there and his and his wonderful wife, and then I saw Ben Jealous, who is also a potential gubernatorial candidate, maybe running. I assume he will. He has a story when he grew up. Um, he did not have it easy, and he talked about you know his dad, um, the lack of health care, and how you know he, he and and I can't tell it. Um, only he can tell this story, but it connected with people in the room in a way that. It wasn't just another standard, oorah, oorah, let's go Democratic Party, let's get our acts together. No, he told a story, and it made it personally. It talked about how he is a product of his you know, growing up and how these certain programs helped him, and that's where Republicans and Democrats often – these stories are they, – they're often not told, right? So right. people don't want to hear – just down the line, oh, I'm a Democrat, so here's what we believe, and let's go out and fight for all these values. No, they want to hear stories, personal narratives about why and how and what happened in their life to make them feel a certain emotion that has brought them to this point. And so whether or not State Senator Mano decides to run for Congress in the 6th Congressional District, contention, of course, upon whether John Delaney decides to run for governor, and it looks by all indications that he is gearing up to run for governor, 
um, right. which would leave open a CD6 seat, and the Democrat um, is is and look, let's just put this out there. I am I'm very good friends and, and a great admirer of Republican Ami Hober. She's my friend. I admire her work. She is a dynamite intellect, and I have just unlimited respect for her. However, it's going to be very difficult, Regina, for any Republican to win the seat, and because of the way that it's district, right. you know, the, the 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 party line. Whoever wins the Democratic primary, for all intents and purposes, will likely be the victor in the general election. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong more than I've been right. But I'm but I'm looking at the political climate. Whoever wins the Democratic primary, whether it be David Trone, who I'm going to break some news tonight, has told he you know we had a one on one discussion, and it's kind of funny he brought his pollster there right so he's walking around and he has this guy named Harrison Hickman who's his pollster and he's introducing him hey this is my pollster I've never seen that before where a potential candidate for Congress or maybe county executive who knows with David Trone has their pollster at their side. Usually it's their spouse, right? Or their campaign, you know, but he brought his pollster. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny, Regina. I don't know. That seems a little interesting to me. But David David Trode had mentioned that if Delaney decides to run for governor, he's definitely going to run for congressional district six. Of course that is probably subject to change because David Trone is not yet a politician, but acts like one at least. And who knows? That might change ten to fifteen different times in the course of that intervening time frame. Um, so whether it's David Trone who runs, whether it's Majority Leader Bill Frick, State Senator Roger Mano, Andrew Duck, Aruna Miller, by the way, was another dynamite talent that showed up to the event and made a great speech. I really like her. She's my district representative here in Montgomery County's fifteenth legislative district. I don't know if you know Aruna at all, but she is she's dynamite. I mean, I we probably disagree on some policy things, but I can tell you that she has the best constituent services in one of the best, I would argue, in the Maryland General Assembly. I had an issue uh, back last fall. She called me up and talked to me for literally a, over a half an hour about how she can solve this issue of mine and about all the different agencies she had to contact. Her office came through, and that's what it's all about. Customer yep. service. You break it down. These people are here to serve. It's about customer service, and I got to tell you, she gave me some of the best customer service, um, and she served me, and I, I think she's great for it. But so I, I want to understand, who do you think in a, Repub in, a, in a Democratic primary, Regina, in the Maryland – given the candidates that you know of, who do you think could come out as the potential victor in that primary? Well, I mean, so pretty much discounting Western Maryland because usually our vote is washed away because of the populace of Montgomery County. Um, <laughs> I think that Roger Mano is probably one of the strongest contenders for the seat. Um, I mean, he's done so much in that area. He's got some name recognition. As we both said, he did an amazing speech. So, you know, if he's just out on there shaking hands and going to meetings and talking, that's going to flip a lot of people toward him. Um, but there is a lot of anger, you know, in Western Maryland about the fact that a lot of people out here do not feel that their voice is being heard 
um, because of the way that redistricting happened. Uh, I know a lot of people out here are hopeful that in the 2020 census they might get back the, this part of the state. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, in, you know, you've got to – it's a valid concern because we – I mean, yes, do they visit here? They do visit, but it's not the same as living here, right? Mm-hmm. So you grew up in Hagerstown, so you've got an idea of – yeah, I mean, as it gets deeper and further into Appalachia, the culture starts changing, you know, and it's uh, – you have to live in it for a while to really represent the people. And I think that's what's been missing of late is that – I mean, John Delaney does come down and he does visit, and that is wonderful. And when people call, he acts on their calls, right? He's sure. got people with immigration issues and so many important issues. But – it's challenging to truly feel what it's like to live among the people here and right. be part of a volunteer fire department that's doing maybe three calls a night because something bad happened, or right. frantically trying to find volunteer EMS people and realizing nobody's able to do it anymore, and you've got to find some kind of funding to hire county positions when you have a relatively depressed economy. Right. You, know, the, the, you know, this assumption that you can call 911 and like four minutes later, there's going to be someone there, is a fantasy where mm-hmm. we live, right? Because it's the distances. You still, you know, someone has to come from somewhere, and they've they've driven a long way to get there. So, so, but until you live it, until you become part of it, um, it's really hard to represent all of the people of the state. So, that is a challenge. I mean, I I, I lived in Montgomery County for many years. It's very very different than Garrett County. And oh, I would say it's polar opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think Democrat or Republican, what people are asking for is to truly be heard and for them to be from here, to be at least having spent a long time here. Right. So if somebody's really truly doing exploratory, it do exploratory by spending a month here, not a mm-hmm. visit for a weekend. You know, it, truly become part of the culture. And it's hard. And look, the last couple times the candidates have run for this seat and both John Delaney and Ami Hober both live outside of the district. They live in Potomac. In fact, Ami and John are both literally neighbors. Um, and so right. I, 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 they, they live basically on the same street for about four doors down. Um, and I know that I believe the delegate Frick lives in the district I, I, or Maybe not. I don't know. I have. I don't want to misquote them. I don't want to. I don't no. want to uh, promulgate fake news tonight. But I know that a lot of the folks don't live in the district. David Trone is an example. He does not live in Maryland's sixth congressional district. And so the concern that Democrats would have with, let's say, a candidate with David Trone, who I think has basically unlimited resources, he ran for congressional district eight in two thousand. And 16, he lost right. in the primary to Jamie Raskin, but he did do very well out west. He did um, in, in Frederick and in Carroll, and so he spent a lot of money, basically the most ever in a congressional race. And I don't know if Democrats are going to respond to that again, but if you'd come in and you'd drop instantly $5 million out – West and you know you're on TV and you're 
sending them oodles of mail, and that's what I expect to happen. Will that crowd out someone like Majority Leader Bill Frick and Roger Mano, who have been been in the legislative circle for a long time, um, who have passed meaningful reform? Would you know politics aren't fair, but would that drawn off their message? Well, I mean, okay, so Bill Frick has got when you talk with him, uh he's genial. He is a a person you want to talk to. He looks you in the eye. He he doesn't tend to have a lot of um you know like Bill, something wow. between you and him. He's not standoffish, right? And yeah. so so and he doesn't tend to down at all. He seems like uh, exuberant boyish hope in positive change, right? Yeah. That's appealing to people. Sure. Um, you know, so I think he's got a lot of potential if he's tried to go for something like this and he's in the district. Um, what David Trone's got going for is he has been a very successful businessman. So a lot of the state is focused on have you been a success in another field? And this is part of the Trump phenomenon as well. You know, maybe you don't have to be great at politics. Maybe you just have to show success in business. Right. Because if you did that, then – you obviously know somehow a way to make maybe our entire state do better, maybe get more business in. Maybe you've got your business context, you can bring more business, right? So so there's some potential there as far as the business element of it. I think the challenge is always it, – it's a fine line to walk because you don't want to be off-putting about how much money you have. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's true. You have to walk that line very carefully. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And so more back to the summit. Um, yeah. Another major player of this summit who deserves recognition is uh, Minor. Um, my, gosh, I can never pronounce her name right. But is it Myrna? My, Myrna Whiteworth. Whitworth. I, see, I'm totally butchering this. This is terrible. I should know how to say this because I heard Myrna? it. Myrna. 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 That's right, Myrna. She did an excellent job. Um, she did uh, the introduction of the speakers, so very well done. And then we also had these breakout sessions. I don't know which sessions you attended, but I had an opportunity to uh, attend the, um, let's see, Why Moderates Matter, How to Win Back Trump Democrats with uh, Rachel Heisler. She is the director of the Policymakers Council at National Journal, former um, campaign staffer for uh, Pennsylvania Senator Bob Casey. And then I went to become a social media ninja with Liz Jaff of head of campaign, the crowd pack and both interesting breakout sessions. And then of course the, the straw poll results were announced yesterday at around four 30 and John Delaney won, as mentioned earlier, but I think the Democrats had an exciting event. It was sold out. They had people from all over the state um, show up, which is a great thing. But yep. most m- most interesting in my own experience as a Republican, registered Republican, showing up to the event was how welcoming everyone was. And I have to say I have to give major kudos to the Democrats because sometimes people – view me skeptically for two well i would say for three reasons one is one the first reason is because i'm a registered republican so people are naturally skeptical 
why is he here? What is he doing? What is he right. and Kim doing there? They're Republicans. They've been operating in Republican circles for many years. People associate me and the Republican Party. That's fine, but I've, I've done my level best to grow out of that and to – anyway, but people then say, well, is he here to spy? Oh, well, you know, what's he, what's he going to do? No, no. I, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a blogger. I'm a political journalist. I cover these events because they're interesting. They're the future of our state, and let's be honest, Regina, there's sort of a – we're sort of bereft of political news in Western Maryland. People often forget about us in the Eastern Shore. And there's 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 always room for more coverage, more journalism, more discussion, more talk shows. I encourage anybody who loves politics and has an interest in the political process, start a blog talk radio show, start a podcast. That's that is a burgeoning format for broadcasting a message in our generation. And I'm I would say I'm on the cusp of being a millennial. A millennial. I'm not quite. I'm 31, so I just missed the, the mark. But you have very popular ways to 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 um, encourage people to to broadcast a message. Look at look at Pod Save America. I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast, but it's excellent. It was started by two, three, four, I think four Obama speechwriters, staffers, and they started this media company called Crooked Media. And they do these weekly podcasts, and they're excellent. It's it's funny, it's edgy, it's it's great to listen to. They cover the Trump presidency, they rag on Trump, they talk about interesting things that appeal to generate our our generation and millennials. But anyway, people were welcoming, but they still think, why is he here? Um, is he going to blog about me or my conversations off the record? Yes, of course. Um, unless you, t- you know, we're just communicating we're having a discussion but and i think the third reason is is they say well if he's a republican then he probably supported donald trump so what really why is he here and i hope that i did a a service for myself to dispel that and people welcomed us every single time every conversation and they were a bit shocked and surprised to learn that i was a republican that kim is a republican and we both showed up to this event and they're like well Wow. Wow. Okay. So I think that that them, the Democrats, welcoming us into this event to be very encouraging toward us to talk about common ideas and disagree with you know pervert and proverbially without being disagreeable, that is major progress in the political dialogue, and that's my mission. I want to civilize – that's my whole mission in, in being in politics and political journalism and blogging is to civilize the process, to stop talking about these petty issues, um, the nanny-nanny boo-boo style of politics and, you know, well, the Democrats did this. It's hypocritical. The Republicans did this. It's hypocritical. No, there's so much more important things to talk about, like policy, about people's lives, about health care, and about how to make sure that everybody has – Healthcare, how how we have can reform our criminal justice system, how we can stop putting people in jail in a mass incarceration, how we can help people get out of poverty through great jobs, and how we can grow our economy and you know grow past the economic slump. So all of these well, things. What's go ahead. Missing. I mean, that, that's exactly it. It's like the the grand vision, the hope for the future, the bright shining light, that was missing in the last campaign cycle. And it has to come back. It's not just the worst. 
it was the <sighs> worst campaign cycle I have ever seen in my life. And look, I've been following politics since I was about, I don't know, 18, 17. And I don't know about you, Regina, but we watched as a family, Kim and our two children, our 10-year-old, and uh, she was nine at the time. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, nine, 10. And our 12, 13-year-old at the time, we watched this and it's like, it's disgusting. It, it wasn't about issues. It wasn't about that how we can turn how we can continue to grow America and make it a better country and a more accepting place for everybody who wants to be part of the American dream. I didn't hear that. I heard spiteful, angry, mean attacks. And that's translated and it's trickled down into local politics to the state level. I'd really like to get away from that. And that's it's it's really, really a bad cycle and I hope we can recover from this. But I don't know, and I'm skeptical that we can because it's now become somewhat normalized. I mean, every day we have the president of the United States tweeting something that is a lie, that is ridiculous, or just a complete stupid comment. And I hate using that word, but you have a president of the United States who is um, a small child that called the, the American press the enemy of the people, the enemy of the people. I mean, not ISIS, not um, North Korea, who wants to, I guess, make a bomb that can't get a bomb yet, but one day they may have a bomb, to, to harm a lot of people. But the American press, a building block and foundational element of our country, the enemy of the American people. Think about that. This is a guy whose That's, entire yeah. relationship – consists of being adversarial and calling real journalists, people who put their lives on the line every day, and anybody who says that some of our journalists are not heroic, that is an absolute bald-faced lie. These people put their lives and dedicate their entire careers to, to writing about facts and to making us a more educated populace. And for Donald Trump, who tweets these ridiculous things and says the media is so dishonest… Because he doesn't like the facts that are being reported, what does that say to our kids? What does that say to our 10-year-old daughter, our 13-year-old son? It's just it's, – it's an absolute travesty. I don't care which political party you're in. And when did it become popularized, Regina, that if you're a Republican, you automatically have to attack members of the press? That's foolish. Yeah, I mean that's new. <laughs> I, to some extent, can't understand – some of his anger um, from having done health care reform, right? Sure. So, so a lot of patients got trotted out to try to make that thing happen, right? And it was really offensive to watch people getting used that were very sick, right? And um, like lobbyist groups would bring them to the you know Congress and roll them through all the different offices. And they'd, you know, fast as possible, spill your story. And it was just like, I can't believe this is happening to these poor people who've been flown in here to be trotted around like cattle, right? And it didn't just happen with the lobbyists. So it is wonderful when you get a reporter like you, Ryan, when you get a person who wants to have a conversation and it's wide-reaching and anything can happen in this conversation and we're open to it. But there are some people who have an angle. And no matter what you say, 
they're not going to listen to the part that doesn't fit the angle. And that can be yeah. disheartening. It can and be. And it can be. And I think some people in this world only see those dark things. They only see the bad things that happen to them. And it sticks. It sticks really hard. And they don't see the good. They ignore the good, right? So I have seen amazing reporters who have fought so hard for the story, even if their editor is saying, hey, this is not interesting. Who cares about right. somebody else dying in some hospital in some podunk town? Yeah, they fought for it, and they got the story. And those stories start creating change. And yeah. that's amazing. What I do get frustrated sometimes is when I talk to reporters about, you know, you own your own story, too. And they feel like they can't talk about themselves ever. I'm like, no, that's not true. <laughs> you know, Yes, you need to be unbiased. Yes. But your life story is just as valuable as my life story. And I love the fact that, Ryan, you were willing to tell it during this, this call, during this interview. Um, some, people, some people, unfortunately, when they hit the press, feel like they have to take themselves completely out of it in order to be perceived as unbiased. Well, you know, I, you know, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed earlier today, and Donald Trump's chief of staff, Reince Priebus, said today that the Trump administration looked at changes to libel laws that would limit press freedoms through a change to libel laws that would like requ- require a constitutional amendment. And of course, um, that's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's completely absurd. It can't happen. It won't happen. But we have a Republican no. in office who fundamentally misunderstands a bedrock principle of American democracy, and he is fighting against the First Amendment because right. he can't handle criticism, and that is scary. That is how tyranny is born. And that there's is. An old, it's, and if there's an old saying that a tyrant will always, affront, will always find a pretext to implement his tyranny in some form, or I'm paraphrasing, but that is horrifying, horrifying. It is. We're in a very challenging time. I mean, we're on the cusp of a future that could be amazing, great. There's so many scientific discoveries that are happening right now that within our lifetimes, even though you're 31 and I'm almost 45, we're going to see massive change. Um, Or we could go to a very dark place. And um, and that's all we're we're basically forming that right now by the decisions we make, by the people who run, by the conversations we have and who we share it with. We're making that future, whether it be positive or negative. I agree. And, you know, one of these days, I think we're going to get past this political party stuff. And I'm hoping that, you know, Democrats, Republicans can work together on common policy and uh, we could cross over and, and have these conversations, and we just have people have to, have to to break down the wall. We're so divided in this country right now, and look, not everything that a Republican says is wrong. Not everything that a Democrat says is wrong, and it would be interesting to see if some of these, like the Maryland Republican Party and the and the and the Western Maryland Democratic Summit, if they invited like come and talk. And then at the Democrat, the Republican event, they would invite some Democrats to come and talk, and then we would find a way to work together. But you have people out there every day that are saying that, oh well, moderate Republic. Like, let me give you an example. Former um, 
congressional candidate, Dan Bongino. Remember that guy? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. a good friend who campaigned for him. Okay. So he's a really angry person, and he's just hell-bent on, like Donald Trump, on you know fake news, Democrats are evil, blah, blah, blah. It, you know Everything – he's just straight down the line, total angry, clenched fist Republican – um, that can have a conversation that you know screams and yells at reporters that runs three times and loses because he has an anger problem, and it might be more personal <laughs> on Dan Bongino's side, but I'm just using his as an example. Um, you know, and he nearly but, beat. But the hope, the hope, is my good friend who campaigned for him is my good friend. Oh yeah, right? and and you can so you, so so we're friends really great friends and he's an extremely conservative Republican mm-hmm. and I am a somewhat liberal Democrat with some <laughs> libertarian leanings. <laughs> so so it's one of those things that even though maybe the figureheads that we both support are very different, if we can talk and we can have a relationship, then we can change things. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to wrap up this discussion on the this weekend's past summit, what did you learn? Uh, I'm very excited that finally the entire state party is paying attention to Western Maryland. I mean, it was sort of lip service in the past, right? So we go to the state central committee meeting, and it would always be downstate in Baltimore or someplace like that. And <laughs> we drive all the way down there, and then we would hardly hear from anybody all year long. <laughs> You know, so so I'm very excited. Kathleen, since she's been interim chair, has really been sending out emails with lots of good content, asking us our thoughts, calling us on the phone. She's coming to the J&J dinner here. So she's going to come on June 9th to our J&J. And, you know, we invite our local Republican leaders to our J&J dinner. I hope Um, they show up. They always do. They always do. Yeah, so it's one of those things that we have a very congenial – Dinner. It, it's it like people look at us and say, "What you invite Republicans?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course we do. They're our elected leaders. They should be here. This is an important dinner." <laughs> so, so it's one of those things that that's showing the kind of we are trying to work together, and and I would like to see that mirrored in the rest of the state. That you know, bring us all in the same room, have conversations with each other. Does it temper your language somewhat to know that that table over there is Republicans? Potentially. Right. And is that a bad thing? Can we be a little bit more civil yet still say the things we need to say to get our points across? Exactly. Yeah. So what else? What else did you learn from the Western Maryland Democratic Summit? Oh, golly. Um, I love the fact – well, you know, we have parity in the Democratic Party. So, <laughs> um, so my central committee now has six members, which is so exciting. That's and great. very soon we're gonna we we have a, another meeting coming up on May fifteenth. There's a potential of two more people coming on board, which would take us up to eight, and we would be at full strength. So those six members came. All of us came to the Western Maryland Summit, um, and we're all trying to come to the state central committee meeting next Saturday. Um, and so that that was a big deal because when I joined my central committee, there were only well first there was only Jeff Hovis. He was our treasurer. He's a wonderful guy. And he, okay. he was the chair and the treasurer because he literally was a committee of one, right? 
and then John Myers joined, um, and then I joined, which took us to three, but we still didn't have parity, and I found a local doctor friend of mine named Robin. She joined, and it just started spreading, and this was great because I'd asked so many people to join our committee that said, oh, you know, yes, I believe like a Democrat, but I've registered as a Republican. So, so now we're getting people who are saying, I am a Democrat publicly. You know, it's wonderful. So that's what I love seeing at the Western Maryland Summit was all of those people coming out proudly yeah. saying, I live in Western Maryland, and yes, I am a Democrat. And, <laughs> yeah, it's like we can become a force again. We once that's were like, a force. That's like me in Montgomery County. It's like, uh, oh, hey, I'm I'm Ryan. I'm a Republican. <laughs> reversed and but you know i had a good friend who was a republican in montgomery county and she was never treated and she she never felt when i spoke to her about this that she felt treated or ostracized or never had her yard sign stolen yeah you know whereas here we often do right Hmm. so so it's like trying to get just let's all be civil with each other and Understand, we have different opinions on a lot of topics, but there's a lot of other topics that we agree on. Right. Yeah. Well, I learned that great conversations could be had at most political events. I, uh, because I'm sort of an outcast in the Republican Party now, I did not show up to the event with a knot in my stomach, hoping that I wouldn't run into certain people uh, because you want. <laughs> To avoid awkward conversation. Well, the great thing is, is that we showed up and nobody knew who the hell we were, you know, except a few people. Um, but I, I had an opportunity to talk with many of your um, elected officials, state party leaders, and I, I heard some some speeches that I, I liked. And although I disagreed with some of the content, I had an opportunity to hear what's going on in the in the party. And as a political blogger and, and journalist who covers primarily Western Maryland politics. And of course we dabble all around the state when something piques our interest, we, we, we cover this story, but my goal with a minor detail, our show, we really want to highlight what's going on in politics in Western Maryland. It's an important area. I think it's a microcosm of the rest of the country as a whole. And so there's a lot going on with good politics, with legislation and so that's why we have these conversations. So I want to wrap this up. If people are interested in helping you with your mayoral bid, um, do you have a website? Where can we go to donate? And then what can we do to help you win? <laughs> well, you can tell people that you you have met Regina Holiday at least virtually, and okay. you think you like some of the things she has to say. Um, okay. But because it's a municipal election, I cannot take donations. Uh-huh. And um, so, so it is one of those things. It's a pretty much a complete door-to-door, word-of-mouth campaign. Okay. Do you have a Facebook page or a, a website? I do. I'm Regina Holiday everywhere. So if you were to Google Regina Holiday, I'm going to okay. pop up really fast. So okay. I have a Wikipedia page and um, a blog. I'm a blogger. I don't do blog talks, but I do blog. And I'm, on, of course, on Twitter. So Pinterest, LinkedIn, you name it, you're going to find me. Okay. And, you know, my goal is just I have been attending uh, council meetings in town council meetings for the past three years in my town. And I felt like I needed to step up into a leadership role. 
Um, and I also know that the mayor gets the grief. Um, so I'm the kind of personality who can take grief uh, so and take it to a positive place. Now, I assume, that, I, I assume you're planning to get rich becoming the mayor. So how much are you selling? <laughs> no. <laughs> the, mayor, the mayor makes $3,000. Okay. Um, so it's truly a passion if you want to, you know, do good, do good in this right. world. Right. <laughs> and so, so I'm just very involved in Rotarian. I'm oh, part okay. of several boards. Ro- you know, just I well. think that we can do a lot if we all just work together. I agree, and it's it's an absolute pleasure to have communicated with you to had this discussion, um, and I I really hope you become a regular of this show to come back. There's so much that I don't know and that we don't have an opportunity to cover in you know past. Hagerstown. So my goal of the show... Well, you know, next call, we should talk about the fact that Garrett County is up for a Culture of Health Prize by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Excellent. That would be yeah. That would be a great topic. And I want to get more people engaged and listening to, to have these discussions. So I'm going to rely on you to be our Garrett County correspondent, and we will highlight all the great things that Garrett County is doing in the state of Maryland and I think that is important because it is often forgotten, much like some of the Eastern Shore communities are not highlighted um, and the stories aren't being told. Um, there's a, a lot to talk about in Western Maryland. It's a huge part of the state, and it's great that people are truly paying attention to it and its politics um, and what's happening in our local community. So I want to thank you for coming on the show being part of it. The discussion was great, always fun. Um, and um, please, please, please help me get verified on Twitter one of these days. It's not hard. Just, uh, just go and start. You'll, you'll begin the process. And if, if you haven't had a third-party article, I'm sure we can pull, we can pull this off. My <laughs> medical conference I host in May, May 18th and 19th in Grantsville, we have mm-hmm. several reporters coming. So oh, wow. If you join us, you'd probably get mentioned in an article. I was—I <laughs> think I was quoted um, once in the Family New York Times, the incredibly dishonest Washington Post, um, and the um, loser creep uh, L.A. Times. <laughs> no. Well, there you go. You've got your articles. As, as Donald Trump would say. Um, no, I we spent some time in New Hampshire during the political primaries. We we drove up several times. Kim and I did, and I have to tell you, we I was, and this is this this is funny, maybe not funny, more so sad, but nonetheless, I talked to like every reporter possible because I wanted them to know that Maryland, we don't have access to presidential candidates like those good folks up in New Hampshire does. In fact, we you know you go up in New Hampshire, you sit through a town hall, you go up and talk to somebody that's running for president of the United States. You you can grab their attention for like ten minutes, and we did that. We had an opportunity to talk policy. I remember walking in, in a parade right next to Jeb Bush, and went to town hall events with John Kasich, and met Hillary Clinton, um, and just talked to all these people that were running for president, um, and had some of the best discussions, uh, just one on one. So anybody in politics who has never been to New Hampshire during presidential primary season you are missing out you have to do it it is the best thing you can ever do if you love politics and are a political junkie like i am so 
Regina, thank you so much for, for being part of the show tonight. Thanks for your time. And you are welcome with us at any time, at any time. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. And thanks again for tweeting. Okay, you as well, and you have a wonderful night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we had a great segment with Regina Holliday, a Grantsville, Maryland mayoral candidate. So just to wrap up the show, the Western Maryland Democratic Summit, I do. I felt welcomed. People, it was encouraging to have a discussion about several policies. Of course, there's those. There was the politics. There was a lot of red meat thrown out at these events. And in fairness, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the Republicans were holding their own event down in Ocean City. And some tweet, someone who created a Twitter account. Um, said, oh, it's sad that I have Trump derangement syndrome, and then I went and covered this other event. I wasn't there to experience the positive energy of the Republican event. I've been to so many of those Republican conventions that all of them are pretty much the same. You go to the hospitality suites on Friday night. You see the same people. Uh, you, you, you drink the same crappy alcohol that they serve, and you, you eat stale pizza, and it's not all bad, but I've been to some good Republican conventions and some really bad ones. But nonetheless, I wanted to try something different. I wanted to cover this because I was born and raised in Western Maryland, and I had an opportunity to meet and mingle and exchange ideas with Democrats. And the whole goal of this is, hey, how can we, did, how can we get Republicans and Democrats to think more libertarian, to leave us alone, that is the government? How can we get them to adopt a more libertarian philosophy, to champion individual liberty, to stop these endless ridiculous wars, to stop spending our money without some sort of gain, without some sort of opportunity for us to, to yield a return on it? And how can we get government out of our lives, out of our lives, out of our bedrooms, out of our businesses? And you know, look, I would be remiss, and Eric B., who's not with me. And people are going to think I'm a crazy libertarian, but taxation is theft. <sighs> I've just made all of the Democrats' heads just swivel and look like that scene from The Exorcist. Nonetheless, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to a minor detail. I know we went a little long this evening, but we had a lot of content to cover. Check out Regina Holiday. Check out the Western Maryland Democrats on Facebook. And once again, a big thank you to the organizer of the summit. You did an excellent job. I was highly impressed by you getting a bunch of people in a room on a Saturday and a weekend at Rocky Gap. So kudos to you. Well done. The old tip of the hat. I don't think I have anything else to say other than have a great week. Um, what other horrifying and terrifying headlines will come about? Um, I do see that the Republicans and the Democrats managed to pass a temporary um, spending or a temporary yeah, spending plan, which really is what it is, to keep our government open. But the love of all things holy, let's finally pass a budget and make it balanced. Let's pass a balanced budget. And I will end on that, or else I will go for another two hours railing about our tax system and how we cannot pass a balanced budget. All right. Well, you folks have a great evening. Listen to us every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. on a minor detail 
That's blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. Find us on the web at a minor detail.com. News, commentary, gossip, delivered with a libertarian twist. A Minor Detail is an edgy, no-bullshit approach to Maryland politics. Ryan Miner and Eric Beasley proactively unwind the best stories of the week every Sunday night, beginning at 9 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com. That is blogtalkradio.com forward slash a minor detail. Be part of the show. Voice your opinion by calling 646-716-5971.